Welcome to the Getting My Act Together podcast. It is Monday, January 18th, 2021. Thank you for listening. I join you from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm sitting in my <clears throat> finished <laughs> basement where there's like no heat or not a lot of heat and it's four degrees Celsius. So I'm wearing gloves, which I haven't done for six years. However, uh, somebody sent me gloves and like the best of Amazon gifts. No idea who it's from. No one told me. So the fact that no one told me told me suggests that it was not from a fan of the podcast, but probably from a family member who was like myself, uh, brought up to believe you try to do nice things for people, but you also uh, don't tell them or let them know you're doing something nice for them. But then also, you might not know that the deed was or was not ever done. So if that makes any sense, right? Like, hey, I just want to see if you got the thing that I sent you. And the reason we don't do that, because we're fucking weird Irish Catholic derived, and I'm not Catholic, derived people, is we are uh, uptight. We're fun and like can tell a great story in a bar, but when it we struggle to do like uh, real honest emotional accounting with one another, unless it's you know a fucking screaming match and a brawl. But we get I don't know I, and this is what I try I'm trying to be different from the tribe. What the point here is someone sent me some gloves and probably they didn't want to be like. Hey, did you get the present I sent you? Because they were afraid that me or somebody like me throughout the lineage of Irish Catholic derived people would have been like, oh yeah, well, you just want to let me know you got me a gift and what am I supposed to do now? Thank you for that. How fucked is that? That, that, or maybe it's all in my head. <laughs> That's also possible. But it's very possible that someone sent me these gloves and does not want to ask me if I receive the gloves, which is because they think that they're soliciting praise. I don't think I'm making this perfectly clear. And you're sitting in your car like, not at all, dude. You're spot on. Your instinct on that one, A-okay. Because they don't, you would call it like, hey, did you get the gift I sent you? You just want to verify that it fucking got there, because if not, you go talk to Amazon or Glove 100 and find out what happened to your money and your product. I think. Anybody else's family like that, where you would do something nice and you want to check in to make sure it happened, but then you're like, they think I'm going to do this and you should just do a nice thing without having to verify that it transacted, or are we just fucking retarded? That's very possible. I don't know, but I have these gloves and whoever sent them to, or maybe I could, like I said, it, it could all be in my head. And if you are a listener of the podcast and you sent me these gloves, I'm grateful because I, I, they're the pair of gloves I didn't know I needed, but I'm sitting here in the four degrees Celsius Atlanta weather, enjoying these gloves. So thank you for that. The vaccine apparently is badass. Did I, did I mention that? Apparently the vaccine is great. The ham-handed messaging about how awesome it is, and I'm if you want to go fake news 
and get wherever from QAnon or you want to go New York Times. I don't give a shit. Be your own critical thinker. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm telling you what I learned. And I thought it was pretty cool uh, that the vaccine is so, like, some good news. Let's, yeah, hell yeah, let's all get vaccinated and, uh, you know, later we'll get autism. But a, a small thread in the little summary report was that the ham-handed withholding of information that has happened across the pandemic confuses the public and erodes our trust in the institutes or institutions that are supposed to help us, which Lord knows we've talked about plenty on this podcast. And they use the example at the beginning of the pan. And, but however, the motives come from a, they're derived seemingly this uh, ham handed asymmetric information coming to the public apparently come from a good place, a well-meaning place. Like, so at the beginning of the pandemic, they told us not to wear masks because apparently they didn't want there to be a run on masks, right? And then uh, we buy and steal all, take all the masks like we did with all the toilet paper. And uh, by the way, the run on toilet paper, I was very impressive at the beginning of the pandemic. Y'all really poop voluminously so good for you and why don't we use fucking bidets in this country i have a 20 minute chunk of material on that it's insane if you think about how carefully and thoroughly you wash your body when you are in the shower think about that think about the uh the earnestness with which you cleanse yourself in the shower and I want you to picture me showering. <laughs> and, and, and then think about the analog of that when you take a poop. It's not quite up to the same level, but you're like, you know what? I'm just going to put on these pants and go back and have a business meeting with someone. It's insane to me. If you spread peanut butter on your forearm, let's say you have hirsute arms. Let's say, like I do, my wife says I have a pelt on my forearms. If you spread peanut butter on your forearms, you're not going to just fucking clean it with dry paper, are you? If you are, you're a real one. <laughs> let's be let's be clear. That's uh, well, I don't get it. Is it big toilet paper? You know who owns big toilet paper, by the way? The Koch brothers. <laughs> I looked it up one time. Anyway. Wipe your ass. Clean yourself. Like, why can't we do that after we take poop? Doesn't make any sense to me. Just compare what happens after you take a poop, that level of cleaning, versus what happens when you're in the shower. And if they're the same, you're either very good on the toilet, or you're not washing your ass enough in the shower. It's it's incredible. So, at the beginning... They didn't want there to be, and congratulations for your digestive health, the people who reflexed on everybody who has digestive issues. Who, And by the way, that is, I think every female that I've met in my life has some sort of, ah, uh, it's not always, you know, men. There we go. We can pee and poop wherever we want, whenever we want, and we're just, that's another advantage we have. See, this is the wokest pro-female podcast but every woman I've ever met 
I think, has had some sort of uh, digestive challenge. Which I was empathizing when everyone was buying all that toilet paper. Like, no, I'm going to do a lot of shitting today. And I'm sorry if anybody else is feeling a little full. <laughs> a little heavy. Anyway, let's get bidets in this country. Well, they probably cost money. and Okay. So at the beginning of the pandemic, or for some of you, the plandemic. <laughs> come on now. The authorities did not want there to be a run on masks because obviously people more important than someone sitting in his basement talking into a microphone needs masks. People work in hospitals, healthcare workers, first care, first responders, etc., etc. People at all, at all. People much more important. So they told us, hey, masks aren't that big of a deal. Later on, it became apparent and they can change their minds and they can not change their minds, they can change the messaging. They said, you know, actually masks are very important. It looks like we have the stockpile of masks to supply the uh, healthcare workers and also you people who are buying all the toilet paper. Uh, and that also was a large part of the population that, uh, you know, you're not going to wear them anyway. So, so they changed and said, you know, actually masks are very important and it looks like we have control over the supply chain. So wear a fucking mask is what they said. However, obviously, and I empathize, that's a little confusing to the public, particularly people who are not critical thinkers, who, or, you know, don't have time to be a critical thinker, just look at uh, the headlines. So it became, well, what the fuck, dude, how come you tell us to wear masks now, you didn't tell us, you told us not to wear them, what am I supposed to do? Is this big mask all of a sudden like, hey, you're killing our profit margins. You better have those kids buy some masks. Understandably, that creates confusion among the population. And this part of this narrative that I read in the New York Times primer this morning was, okay, well, they're slow playing or they're downplaying. Slow playing is a poker term, I think. They're downplaying or they're not being forceful enough saying how awesome the vaccine is because they, A, are cautious, generally speaking. You don't want to shoot your shot be like, fucking the greatest. Like, gamblers who listen to this podcast know the game is never over until it's over and they've walked off the field, gotten into their cars, and driven home safely. It's only people who don't gamble who look at the score of, say, a Falcons Super Bowl game that they're winning 28-3 to in the middle of the third quarter, and they're like, oh, you got this locked up. It's over. You can. What are you going to do with your money? And then, lo and behold, the Falcons uh, lose the Super Bowl. Sorry to rake up old graves, but that was just the first thing that came to mind. It's never over, right? And so that's what the scientists are like. Uh, yeah, we're pretty confident it's 95% effective. 90 fucking 5%. That's very high. Well, it's not 100. Well, no, but what is? So, the effect of this, though, is it creates a what the fuck is going on from the public, which I totally get. I totally get that. So, um, like I said, you're going to find the information and... I listened to the podcast before he told us to get vaccinated. 
I'm not. Te- I if you hear anything ever on this podcast that's telling you what to do, then you're misunderstanding what I said because I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just talking about shit in the world and what I'm trying to do, and I'm glad that you're listening. There, that's what I said. However, speaking of things that I do or am doing, apparently with the podcast. There is no better way to uh, galvanize listener response than to <laughs> tell an audience of people that you're going to apply to work at the Central Intelligence Agency. <laughs> because, boy, the people reach out and comment to me about that. Friends and foes. Not foes, but uh, curiously, no one... Among the listeners, and I hope you're just not a bunch of red commie bastards out there. That's, what is Georgia, red? Or purple? Red used to be commie. Now red is conservative. Anyway. People obviously were not, I don't want to say obviously. People generally not supportive of my idea of uh, applying to work at the Central Intelligence Agency, which was... Uh, part of what I talked about on the previous episode. And if you need to be caught up on that, very briefly, I saw an advertisement in a magazine that the CIA is hiring part-time workers <laughs> who uh, wanted to make their country a better place, which is what I interpreted. It didn't quite say uh, make it a better place. It said, like, defend it from bad people. But that's what I'd like to do as well. Part-time Hell yeah. So I'm like, why not? Why can't I throw an app? (laughs) The advertisement that I read on the last podcast made it sound like, you know, you were going through the mall, which I did when I was a kid or down a line of stores. And you just ask if y'all are hiring and do you have an application? And the person who is two years older than you are standing behind the counter at the hot dog stand or the wherever in the food court, Panda Express, uh, pulls out a stack, uh, like a book of applications. I know things are different now. You have to do it all online. But they would just tear off a piece of paper and hand it to you. And then you'd go into the middle of the food court and you would uh, fill out your information. You'd take it back to them. And then you'd watch them stick it in a drawer that no one would ever open again. (laughs) And then you'd have to call back because everyone was raised to think you hand in an application. You call back a week later, say, I'm just I'm just checking. I am a young man who has uh, vigor and interest in doing things uh, with purpose. And I was wondering if you at your uh, cookie making your cookie making operation. Well, I don't know what this fucking voice is. My 15 year old voice trying to get a fucking job. I mentioned that Willow, I had a job where I could sleep at that mall. I got a job at Bloomingdale's, but I I did exactly what I described. I went into the mall as soon as I got to Philadelphia, <clears throat> Philadelphia, Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, uh, Ambler, Pennsylvania, and just went up and down. Hey, Brookstone, that used to be a thing. It can't be anymore. It can't be. This was back in a time when businesses could be in malls and not have to profit. <laughs> They just, Brookstone, what do you, this was, was just like from a fucking different time, but I wanted to apply to CIA after, 
you know, just feeling so depressed about my country, it spoke to me. I'm like, you know what? I have the heart. I have the energy. I have the, uh, I have the self-righteousness that everybody else who works in the government does. Why can't I add my two cents? So I decided to apply for a part-time position to work at the CIA. My wife, as I mentioned, very suspicious of my motives. And I alluded to, the, you know, sure, if I get some material out of it, that would be great. But uh, it came from a good place, and I was not bullshitting you. And people were like, dude, you, I agree with your wife. My cousin sent me a note. I agree with your wife. You would never, ever get hired there. And I feel like that's more on the CIA than it is on me, quite frankly. I'm a good guy. I'm a decent guy, right? I don't hit my wife. I sh that's it, boys. Show I show up and I don't make her cry. That's pretty good. That's the bar. That's, that's the bar. How awesome. And you know what? I clean my ass after I poop. That's what I do. So... Half of the people who contacted me were like, you're never going to fucking get hired there. So you might as well just save your time. And that tells you about the defeatist nature of those cowards. <laughs> uh, they're right, probably. Um, and then also, I got a couple other responses from people who said, uh, please don't do that. When, what was interesting, though, is it was not clear if they were saying, please don't apply to the CIA for the good of the country, meaning if you work for the CIA, you are going to make it a worse country, the worst world for me to live in is what they're saying. Or they're like, dude, I don't think you have like value alignment with the CIA. And which caused me, by the way, to reflect a little bit more on the work of the CIA. And I actually looked at Wikipedia, and I'm going to try to grab a piece of paper here with uh, gloves on, which is kind of challenging. But I just went to the Wikipedia just to sort of dust up my knowledge of the CIA. Because what I said, I'll tell you what I said. Now I have to take the glove off to find what I actually wrote as my objective at the beginning of my application, my uh, cover letter or whatever it's going to be. This is what I wrote on my uh, objective that you put at the beginning, top of your resume. I wrote, leverage my people insights, critical, which means like I, I'm pretty good at, you know, I have a background in psychology. i pretty good, I think, at understanding people. Uh, leverage my people insights, critical and analytical thinking abilities. And that really should be like supposed or alleged, or self-described. But you know it's a resume, so you have to sound way more confident than you probably are. Leverage my people insights, critical and analytical thinking abilities, and composure under duress. <laughs> what is composure under duress? It means, well, I've... Uh, I've been a comic bombing my ass off, and, well, I kind of did tell the crowd to go fuck themselves, but I didn't scream it, right? That would be losing composure. 
I don't know. I did the show at Tavern on the Main one time. <laughs> that was composure under duress. I had a that show. I did like 20... Show. Fuck. Shout out to Jay Ward. Shout out to Sonny Gillespie. I did like 20 minutes with... Steph Darnell was there. I did 20 minutes to eight people at the bar. Just talking, bullshitting. And uh, a white woman started heckling me for talking about race. And this was in a, uh, let's say, a suburban part of Atlanta, Georgia. Not when you, if you don't know anything about Atlanta, you don't, I don't know, maybe you do think of this place. But I was, uh, I was, I was talking about whatever I was talking about, and she started yapping. Uh, So I started clapping. Is that right? I knew she was going to yap to the captain, so uh, whatever the lyric is from 99 Problems. But she was giving me shit about talking about race or something. And she said, can't we talk about something else? Or I don't want to. I'm tired of talking about it. And I was like, well, you know, I don't think I really talked about it that much. But <laughs> you know who else really would like it not to be a fucking issue is uh, black people. Or something. Then she just went to the fucking moon and started screaming at me more. And like, I moved down here from Boston and nobody up there ever fuck. And I was like, wait a minute. And then it's like, you know, Boston racism, et cetera, et cetera. So was that composure under duress? I don't know. My wife had a miscarriage one time in the middle of the night and woke me up. And we were out the door within 30 seconds driving to the hospital. My wife said that I handled my business that day, that night, two in the morning or whatever. That's kind of composure under duress. So I, I think I can, I think it was that a little, that's a little jarring, right? Just to, so I didn't mean to do that. Just what came to mind. One, sometime we'll have like a big miscarriage podcast. I didn't mean to do that. Sorry if that was, you're sitting there like, what the fuck, dude? You were just in tavern on the, well, that's just, I don't know. It's where my mind went. Miscarriage, if you, someone ever tells you that they had a miscarriage, just shut the fuck up. That's the best advice I can give you. I'm not saying that people didn't shut the fuck up when it happened to us more than once. But the best thing to do is just nod, hug if you can or want to, or that seems like an appropriate thing, but just listen. Don't say anything. Don't say, oh, you'll, you'll get them next time. Or, oh, well, you know, it was only X number of, I think, and just don't say anything. Just, just listen, be sad, nod. And even though it's well-meaning, like the well-intentioned public health officials who are trying to, you know, help solve a pandemic by concealing information from us. And you know what I'm saying. It's well-intentioned. Sometimes the best intentions get misunderstood. But that motherfucker is up to no good. <laughs> That's a rancid lyric. I, people know. People know that it's coming from a good place, but I think the the best approach is just don't say anything. Um... 
because it's immensely sad and immensely personal. And sometime, I suppose, I'll talk about miscarriages more. Wouldn't that be a fun podcast? And that's the interesting thing, if I haven't said this before. Miscarriages affect like one in three, something like that, quote-unquote pregnancies. And nobody ever talks about them. And when people don't talk about them and and then you gently talk about them, overwhelmingly you can tell people have had them, know people who have experienced them, and want to fucking talk about them. But we always say it's uh, we should talk about this stuff more, right? We should talk about it more. And as I've argued, like, when's the fucking right time to talk about a miscarriage? I guess you're just riffing on bombing your balls off at Tavern on the Main. That seems like a good time. Because the idea is like, hey, let's go off for drinks and talk about miscarriages. Or, hey, let's go to a comedy show and talk about... There's like no good time, I guess. It just has to happen sort of organically. Which, for me, uh, in it means somehow it came to mind about my composure under duress. Also... There is no question that the person affected most by the miscarriage is the woman, obviously. There I am, shooting my shot again. Hey, Saudi Arabia, sketchy as fuck. Women, sad, with a miscarriage, after a miscarriage. But what I found is it's quite burdensome for the man as well. What? You guys have feelings? No way. Well... The evolved man who has a podcast like this. A decent guy. Yeah, I have feelings. And what's so interesting about it is your instinct is to... Is to be a partner, be a protector, be a a shield, be a, a emotional support for your spouse who is just partner, who is just li- literally physically experienced this horrifying thing. Um, and then you have to, uh, you're experiencing it as well, but the instinct really was to, like I said, shield and protect and hold and empathize and, and, um, which this much I think affects the man's ability or my ability to fully process the events that occurred, right? Because you go into, not, I'm going to, maybe it is some of that, like, male, I'm going to fucking solve this. Who needs to be fired? You know, like that sort of bullshit thinking when women are like, just shut the fuck up and listen. That's another thing for the male platform. You don't even have to really listen well. You just have to make it look like you're trying. <laughs> Put your phone down. Or set down the acoustic guitar, boys. Put down the guitar when she's talking. Or that's me talking to myself. So the instinct is 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 to protect and, and do whatever and, and and get through it, which probably retards your own my own processing of the actual events because your role shifts immediately. And it wasn't till it wasn't till I was uh, I was in New York City walking around with one of my closest friends after is this the this is the biggest fucking bummer podcast of all time i was going to just bullshit about the cia but i don't know this this is this is 
This is what it is. It's real. So, sorry. Sorry for dropping it on you in the middle. I didn't know it was going to come. I didn't know it was going to... I was talking about Tavern on the Main. And what, people at Tavern on the Main experience miscarriages as well. And the idea that they don't... Wow, what the fuck am I talking about? But the juxtaposition of now talking about what I'm talking about from talking about Tavern on the Main could not be greater. So I apologize for the jarring nature of it. And also, here we are. But it wasn't until later I was in New York City with one of my closest friends uh, walking around at night after dinner and a couple pints at the Ear Inn, E-A-R-I-N-N, on the... What is that? South of Hell's, way south of Hell's Kitchen. It's like almost down in the water on the, whatever you call the lower, who cares? We have, to get back to the fucking, okay. And I remember I had the fish and chips, but it wasn't until I was walking around with my close friend. We were in New York for the uh, memorial service for another close friend's mom who died far too young uh, of cancer. Oh, this is fucking really uplifting. And my buddy and I were walking around and, you know, inevitably talking about, like, you know, he had a kid at the time, a very young one, and what were my wife and I doing, and just started talking about, uh, well, you know, he had a miscarriage or two, and um, it was, like, really, and, and they had as well. And then we just like just talked about it. That's how you talk about it, I guess. That's how you find. The, I mean, is that realistic? That's how you find the way into talking about that. Is you make sure that you're at a funeral, okay, at a, a, a of a dear friend whose mother passed too soon, and then maybe because that's when you're at your most emotionally vulnerable. So you just like fuck it. I'm I'm gonna put it out there. I am sitting with this piece of paper still on my lap that has 20 controversies that the CIA was involved in. And I thought that's what I was going to talk about, but I will throw that to the earth. But I would like to talk about it next time. But here we are. So having that, you're at a, you're at a friend's mom's funeral. You know, you had a couple pints. Maybe you're half-buzzed. And just walking around with a dear friend. That's what it's all about. Like that's the that's the moment for us to talk about miscarriages. They're uh they're really, really I mean this may be some male like simplistic emotional expression. They're just fucking really heavy. And they're really, really sad. And for the sake of context, my wife and I were not, quote, trying to get pregnant. We were ambivalent. I mean, generally speaking, which is, you know, the privilege, I guess. But we didn't know if we wanted to have kids. And then, you know, as we're like creeping up on 40, like, well, let's, I don't know, let's see what happens. Which I know it's trying if you're not using protection. But, um... Yeah. So it's heavy. But like that that's that's the context I guess is we weren't trying 
but then all of a sudden we were, and then, you know what really happens, candidly, if I can be candid? What happens, and you can tell that I am, as I've talked about numerous times, not a joiner and not much of a uh, truster. Uh, I'm a, uh, whatever, I'm not a, I'm not a joiner. So when you don't have kids and you didn't think maybe that you're going to have kids, you, you don't, you have the privilege of not really giving a shit about as much, you know, school funding in the newspaper. You're like, ah, I mean, which is terrible, right? Because we're all invested in this collective. We all play a part. Um, but so much of the like, parents are up in arms about a vaccine and you're like, Jenny McCarthy, do your thing, girl, live your life. Fucking tell people not to get vaccinated, which is insane, of course. But when you don't have a kid and you don't have like, uh, dare I say something to live for in like the most, you know, in the most elemental biological way. So much of the news you just don't really have to be all that wrapped around the axle about. I mean, you have the luxury of just like, I don't know, they're making kids do this in school. Well, that doesn't affect me. But then what happens is when you get, I'm going to sneeze. I need to take the glove off and pause the recording so I don't sneeze. It was a good one, too. It was a good sneeze. So what happens, or what happened for me, I don't know if it's your story or not, but what happened for me is when we first got pregnant, all of a sudden I was like, well, now I'm, I gotta care about some shit. You know, I care about lots of stuff, but these, the, the details, all the little stuff, saving for college and all this other stuff. And I, and, and I had for initially, uh, whatever it was, six weeks, something like that. Um, okay, motherfuckers. And, and, you know, like I said, you don't, and this is why when we did finally, ultimately become successful in carrying a pregnancy to term, we were so battle-scarred, going back to like 25 to 3. We knew, we felt for us because we'd had miscarriages and also because I am a sports gambler when possible, that the Falcon Super Bowl could happen to us at any time. So, you know, even when my wife had a big balloon in her stomach at, you know, seven months, eight months pregnant. People are like, oh my God, congratulations. We're like, eh, let's, let's take it easy on that. Which, you know, and also like our Gen X-ness and not gonna, we're not gonna, we're gonna cap the amount of buy-in we're gonna have here. But we were very, very ultimately um, cautious, right? Ultimately successful, Knockwood, two years in. What I was going to say was the aloofness that I was able to so cavalierly glide through, not giving a shit about what's happening to your kids and their vaccine and all that stuff, and the collective, which suited my life and worldview perfectly, it seemed, because I was scared and whatever else, insecure. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, now I got to care about this stuff. And, and I had for six weeks, like I said, whatever it was, this feeling of, all right, motherfuckers, I'll go to your little league games and I'll fucking scream at the umpire and I'm going to go to parent-teacher conferences and I'm going to look at math problems. I was like, let's fucking go. And then when that went away, 
after six weeks, and I did whatever I said about that CIA application demonstrated composure under duress. Then it's almost like the, the tide, and I don't know if anyone else has experienced this who's had a miscarriage uh, or has been partner to someone who's had a miscarriage. I felt like the tide, for me at least, for a little while, went out even further. Like, I was so, not like, fool me once, shame on you, or sh- whatever. But I felt like the tide of empathy and caring for the world uh, went out even further. And just, you know, in a temporary, whatever that is, six month, 18, three years process, it made me less inclined to uh, be part of what was going on and care about stuff because of because of what happened. It's, uh, yeah, very, very heavy. There was one other thing that I wanted to bum you out further with about the miscarriage thing, and I'm going to think about that. I think it was around the idea of, like, why you wouldn't or would or whatever. I don't know. But basically it comes down to this for me. When you hook up, when I hooked up with my wife, we, we felt that there were two types of people. Like, people who knew they were going to have kids and then people who who knew they weren't going to have kids. That's how we thought the world was organized. We learned that later we belonged to a third category of sort of ambivalence. We don't know if we're going to have kids. And we didn't talk about it and dwell on it and just sort of lived and worked and bought a house and traveled and, you know, but lived a self-gratifying life, let's be honest. And, yeah, occasionally I volunteered. I'll tell you more about the volunteer thing time when I'm not in the ditch like I am now. Not in the ditch, but you know what I'm saying. Because the volunteering thing's coming up. I've, I, I have made my first service. But we realized there was a third category where you're just ambivalent about it. And as, like, we were approaching 40, it's like, so what are we going to do? Are we going to do this or not? And I think my wife was a click more enthusiastic about the idea and made the great case. She's like, I like what we have and I think it would be cool to have a little more of that. And she said it probably much more elegantly than that. But in a way that I was like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. And I had been, it, no surprise to anyone listening to this podcast, I had been the I don't want to bring kids into this world. What kind of, you know, why would you want to bring a kid into this world? I was that guy, which is totally justifiable if you just look at, if you can read, (laughs) right? But it's also defeatist. And I knew, I knew even when I would say it, that it was just because I was scared and I was insecure, which is, I mean, what is the difference? But I was just sort of like, uh, I, you know, that's the biggest, isn't that the biggest test, I would think, raising a child? I, I knew that I, for me, I was not facing the ultimate test. And there are lots of tests that I have not faced. But I knew that was also the uh, a, a cop-out. I don't want to bring kids to this world. Well, yeah, everybody that is born every single day is born into a shithole of a world. And we just keep grinding, I guess. We just keep trying to not be cynical and not down tools because... Other people are working hard. 
to make the world a better place. Which is why I want to work at the fucking CIA. So, I don't know. I don't know what to say other than I, I'm, I did not mean to, sorry if that was too jarring, moving uh, from Tavern on the Tavern on Main. So, it is what it is. We arrived where we arrived unintentionally. But I feel like in some degree I'm I'm honoring that experience honoring that experience a little bit, paying tribute to the the turmoil and the hurt, sadness and uh And now my neighbor who used to, I don't know if he still listens to the podcast, but his fucking dog won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> I hope he listens to the podcast and I hope you have a great week and uh, get somebody pregnant. I hope you have a great week and I appreciate you listening and as always, survive motherfuckers and kind regards.